Amen. You all sound great this morning. It's uh, Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. We have, uh, we have several visitors who are in town this weekend, and we want to welcome you to the Westside Church if you're here for Jason and Miyoko's wedding today. That's really exciting. And if this is your first time visiting with us at the Westside Church, or if you've been here a couple times, we just want to thank you again for coming. And uh, we're glad you're here. We hope that you get to know us, and we'd like to get to know you as well. Uh, so we're going to continue singing, and today we have a special guest, uh, John Lusk from our sister church in Denver Amen. will be preaching the word to us today. So with that being said, let's really prepare our hearts and minds to receive God's word today. And let's sing with all of our hearts. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Here we go, the sun. The sun comes up, it's a new
No matter what we go through in life, God is always there to hear our prayers through every hardship. And this song is really about continuing to praise God in all situations, in every circumstance. Let's sing out. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. 
Good morning, everyone. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. My name is Martin Chaires. My wife, Tina, and I, we serve uh, here in the teen ministry in the West Side. And uh, we spent several months in South Bay as our home church. And uh, today is our official day back here in the West as our home church. And we're really excited about that. And uh, I have the privilege here of uh, reminding us, sharing some thoughts with us before we take communion. Amen? Matthew 26 and verse 36. I'm very sure that you are familiar with this passage. You know, it's been such an exciting year in my life and for my family. Uh, Earlier uh, this year, March 25th, I turned 12 years as a Christian. Um, Thank you. And... uh, on April 3rd, our second son, little Noah Marley, was born. And April 23rd, our first son turned two years old. Yes, I woke up at 3 in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep, but amen. Thank, thank God for coffee. You know, and later this year, as I shared at, at our midweek uh, in September, it'll be my 10th year as a teen leader. And, you know, it's kind of a checkpoint in my life, especially being a father of two. You know, I grew up without a dad, and because of God, I now get to have a, uh, just a great godly marriage. Uh, we've also celebrated our eighth uh, wedding anniversary earlier this year. And as I think about all those things and I look ahead, I can't help it but to feel excited, but at the same time a little nervous. You see, just as I shared earlier, that as I grew up without a father, my sons have the great opportunity to have a great spiritual father. I realize that sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not. I'm just being realistic. But it's a 50-50% chance. 
because I'm a few decisions away from compromising and damaging my marriage. I'm a few decisions away from compromising and damaging my relationship with the church. I'm a few decisions away from compromising and damaging my relationship with God. And down the line, it'll comprom- I can compromise and damage my relationship with my boys. It's a 50-50 chance, but it's really the same for all of us, isn't it? And as I look into the scriptures, I find hope. But I also find a call to continue to sacrifice. As we go into prayer and we meditate about communion, I want you to remember this statement. And maybe this can be the theme for your week. Don't compromise, sacrifice. Go ahead and whisper that with me here. Don't compromise, sacrifice. I'm so grateful that anything we go through, we have one who can relate to us. I'm so grateful that Jesus, that everything he calls us to, he has already gone through it himself. That's why he calls us to imitate. In verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus was clearly tempted to compromise and not take the cross. But he chose to sacrifice. First of all, he kind of tells himself, hey, I'm going to go pray. Because once you say something out loud, you're kind of committed to it. And then he tells his disciples, how he's feeling. He's so transparent. He's so open. He's so vulnerable. And he says, I am sorrowful and troubled to the point of death. No one has even laid a hand on him yet. But what impresses me the most here about Jesus, how open he was. He didn't tough it out and kind of remain remain kind of the tough guy. And I'm okay, man. It's going to be a rough night. It's going to be a rough night. He didn't say any of those things. But he was so open. And I know for me, sometimes I can compromise and not be open, not be transparent about how I'm really feeling. Can you relate? In verse 39, he says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away, yet not as I will, but as you will. Even though he said he was going to pray, he could have compromised and not really prayed. I know I do that. Oh, bro, I'll pray for you. Oh, bro, sister, I'll pray for you. And sometimes I just forget. Or I'll start praying and I won't push myself to pray a little more or a little more specific. I tend to even compromise in my prayers. Perhaps you can relate. But Jesus did not compromise. He didn't say the right things in his prayer. He kept it real with the Father. I don't think I want to do this, but if it's your will, I'll do it. It's interesting. He already knew the will, but he still had to say it out loud. And sometimes in our prayers, we can tend to compromise and not say what's really going on out loud. Don't compromise. Sacrifice. 
In verse 40, it says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What impresses me here about Jesus is that after he gave his guys direction, he went off and he's having all this wrestling going on. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. You know, he didn't compromise in his belief of people because they didn't follow direction. He didn't label them as lazy. He didn't label them as, okay, these guys aren't going to get it. Or he didn't say, well, they're not going to listen to me, so I'm not going to say anything anymore. And I know for me, I can feel that way. In my responsibilities as a youth minister, I can tend to label people at times or in my heart just not trust people. Can you relate? We can feel that way with our spouse. We can feel that way with even our kids, right? But Jesus didn't compromise. He sacrificed, and even though they didn't obey him the first time, he woke them up. He reminded them, and he continued to serve. And you can say at this point, his heart is not fully ready for the cross yet, but that doesn't mean he doesn't continue to give instructions. And I know for me, sometimes I can tell myself, well, I'm not really there yet, but when I get there spiritually, then I'm really going to give all my heart. That's compromising. Even though Jesus wasn't there, he continued to serve. He continued to say the right things. He continued to hope in people and teach people. He didn't compromise. He kept sacrificing. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Transformation. You see, the temptation to to compromise, it's only temporary. And when we overcome the temptation to compromise by sacrificing, we receive confidence again in our hearts. We have courage again. Do you need confidence in your relationship with God? Do you need courage? As we meditate, remember, whisper, pray it. Don't compromise. Sacrifice. Ask yourself, what's one area in your life that you're compromising? And choose today to sacrifice. Is it in your speech? Is it in your times with God? Is it in your prayer times with your spouse? Is it in your purity? Is it spending time with your kids? Is it sharing your faith? Is it neglecting that coworker who the Spirit's been telling you to ask and invite? Don't compromise. Let's sacrifice. Jesus did not sacrifice for us. Sorry, he didn't compromise for us. He, he sacrificed. Thank you, Jesus. With that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures that you are so transparent and we're able to see the real Jesus. Thank you that you did not compromise, that you did not look at us as individuals and said, they're not good enough. 
Thank you that you sacrificed for us so that we could be your sons and your daughters. Father, help us to be your people who obey you, who serve you. Help us to not be people who claim to follow you, to claim to be with you, and yet in our lifestyle, we just simply compromise. Father, we want to sacrifice for you because you sacrificed for us. We love you. As we take, Father, the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, I pray that all of us will choose this week, Father, to sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sing Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This is an old hymn. Uh, as we sing it, let's really sing it with new hearts, fresh hearts. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing Tune my heart to sing Thy praise Streams of mercy never cease Teach me some 
I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer here for our weekly contribution. In the spirit of not compromising and sacrificing, let's go ahead and say a prayer as we give to God. Father, thank you so much for all the things that you've given us, Father, spiritually and physically, God. We know, God, that every good gift comes from above. And, Father, we take this opportunity, Father, to uh, fulfill our, our pledges, our commitment to you, God, to advance your kingdom. And, uh, Father, we pray that you would bless our giving, God, and that we would give cheerfully. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As the, ta- as the trays are being passed, I'm going to go ahead and uh, share a few announcements here. Amen. Um, our special missions uh, contribution that we collect every year for the churches in Mexico and Central America and also uh, the Middle East will continue to be June 2nd. However, we'll also have an extended time in August uh, for our giving. Amen. Uh, please continue to pray for Mark Shump's mom, uh, who is doing a little better, but uh, please continue to pray for her uh, and for the Shumps. Uh, also pray for those that uh, are undergoing a lot of health, health challenges. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Gordon Ferguson is going to be back here with us, and he's going to be preaching the word. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and so we want to definitely take that time to honor all of the moms. I uh, want to encourage you to try and arrive earlier uh, for some more extended fellowship and some refreshments that will be served starting at 930. Our service begin at uh, 10 a.m. sharp, so I just want to encourage you uh, to come in. We have uh, the, the, the room, the space outside to be able to hang out and fellowship. Uh, such a beautiful days here in, uh, in Santa Monica, um, and so I want to encourage you to be here at 930. Amen. I have another special announcement here. Uh, para todos mis amigos que hablan en español. Wow, there's plenty of us. Quiero uh, recordarles y uh, darles una invitación que si pueden uh, visitar el ministerio uh, del oeste en español. Uh, se nos reunimos los domingos a las cuatro. Uh, creo ahí está la información. Uh, muchos de nosotros tenemos familiares y amigos que no se sienten muy cómodos visitando la iglesia en inglés pero sí se sienten más cómodos visitando la iglesia en español. Entonces los quiero animar de que por favor uh, nos ayuden en esta causa de empezar y de seguir este ministerio. Yo tengo el privilegio esta tarde de predicar La Poderosa. So, si quieren uh, caerle ahí con nosotros, por favor visítenos. We have a Spanish church. Um, We have one more announcement, and that'll be uh, Tim who's going to be making that announcement. Thank you. So uh, back in the uh, mid-'80s, I was a young, very young, uh, campus student at the University of Colorado. And uh, at my campus ministry, we had a weekend retreat where uh, we asked a young preacher named John Lusk to come and speak. And uh, I believe he was still in school at the time himself, getting his master's degree in religion from Harding Graduate School. And uh, of the many retreats that we had back then, this one was very memorable to me. Because the young man spoke to my heart, but also to my mind. He spoke passionately, very eloquently. I got to know him also a bit personally at the retreat as well. I came away very impressed. John went on to uh, lead churches in Sacramento, 
in St. Louis, in Denver, in Bangkok, Thailand, in Manila, Philippines, back to St. Louis, back to Denver. <laughs> and then last summer, we had a uh, worldwide summit for all of our churches from around the world in San Antonio. There were many great speakers, many great speeches and sermons and classes and talks. But of all of those that I personally heard, one man, John Lusk's Far and Away was the top. The reason, again, was he spoke to my heart and inspired me, but he spoke to my head and he challenged my thinking. And his depth and his heart moved people and moved me. He currently serves as the lead evangelist in Denver at the church there where my parents go, who are also visiting this morning. <laughs> and uh, my mom can't say enough good things about John and Barry Lusk. With all the different ministers she's seen come and go through the Denver church, John is far and away her favorite. She was concerned that John might enjoy the 75-degree weather we're getting out here, and <laughs> as opposed to the four yeah. feet of snow they got in Colorado just last month, and uh, decide to move on out here. Uh, but he said, no, no, don't worry, I love Denver. <laughs> uh, John and his wife, Barry, have been married for 28 years. They have two kids, and I am very privileged and honored to be able to introduce uh, John as our speaker this morning. I think we're all going to be very challenged, very inspired, and I just want to welcome John this morning. We're going to sing one more song. Go ahead and stand on up before uh, we hear John. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You will not faint, you won't grow weary. You'll not defend the rock, the weak. You comfort those in
the everlasting God. You are the Good morning, everyone. I uh, have to say I'm really inspired to be able to be here with you, you and the entire group of disciples throughout the LA metropolitan area have long been a source of incredible inspiration and incredible strength to me and Barry and all of our different journeys all over the world. The great church here has always been an inspiration to us. Thank you for your examples for your faithfulness, for your love, and for your rich generosity and just pouring out so much on behalf of God's people all over the world. And Tim, that was a, I lost where Tim went, but there he is right in the front. That was such an inspiring, I started crying. I'm like, oh man, I'm crying at the welcome there. But thank you so much. And I remember that so well, being in Harding and coming out and, and speaking up there in that, by that lake and seeing that baptism out in the lake. It was so inspiring meeting your mom and dad for the very first time. I remember a Tant saying to Sandra, who's that young man over there? And she said, that's our guest speaker for the weekend. I bought a new red sweater for the weekend so I, I could be noticed like that. But anyway, good memories. And it's great to, uh, to see so many. As we were walking in here, I said to, to Barry and to Robin, I, I wonder who we're going to see that we didn't know was here in this gathering. And then uh, I saw Mike Wagey. Right as I walked in, I'm like, wow, back from the Cal days, Mike. And, and then I uh, saw Mo Bashara, and oh my gosh, Mo and Amani helped us and served us. They led the church in Bangkok while we focused on the language for our first six months and just mentored us to know how to survive in the mission field. And we learned to love Middle Eastern Lebanese food in the process. So it's great to see them. And and so many others, Jason sitting right behind us, you know, his big day, so excited for your wedding later on. And uh, Sabrina, so many others, we love you. Thank you for, uh, gosh, thanks for uh, our relationships over the years. And it's cool just to see everybody here. And, and the Denver disciples, we got some Denver disciples in the house. Got a little row back there and a couple down here in the front. We're excited to see you. I am so thankful to live in Denver, Colorado, not just because I love to hunt and fish, but I do love to do that. But, but I'm thankful just to be with such incredible disciples. The church there is so rich in, in grace and in faith and, and love. And I'm so thankful to be part of such a flourishing, thriving, growing ministry. We have a theme for the year. And each year I try to come up with some theme that we can focus on throughout the year. After kind of wrestling in prayer for a long time, I came up with what I thought would be the perfect theme. It's really kind of the final admonition of Jesus before he went up to heaven. And that theme was, I, I came up with it, well, Jesus came up with it first, just because I thought we're growing and we're getting, getting a little comfortable. We're kind of feeling like, okay, we're in a good groove, and that's never a good place to be, right? You enjoy the comfort, but then you fear the comfort. I feared we were getting a little sedentary, maybe a little stagnated. And so we used Jesus' final charge as our theme for the year, and that was Denver Disciples. 
Yeah, okay, my wife's in the house. That was my wife over there. Some of the single disciples are a little slow on the take there. But, uh, but go, that's our theme for the year. And so we're focusing on that. And later this month, Barry and I are really excited to go back to Bangkok. We're going back for the summer and we're bringing with us reinforcements. The cavalry is coming. We're bringing a 12 interns with us for the entire summer and about a dozen empty nesters are going over there just to inspire the older married folk in the church. So we're excited to go back there. And then we have a whole nother group that's going to Mexico. So we have the Go Mexico group. About a dozen empty nesters are going there with Bart Moyers just to inspire the churches in Mexico. And then for those who weren't able to go anywhere, we have a Go Spanish-speaking ministry group. And so we said to the whole church, if you speak Spanish, if you look Spanish, or you like Mexican food, okay, you can go on this Go Spanish-speaking ministry team. So we got about 40 disciples that are kicking it off today on Cinco de Mayo. And for the whole summer, we're just going to be re-inspiring our, our Spanish-speaking ministry. So I bring you greetings from Denver. We love you guys. We love our partnership that we have in the Southwest churches. Gosh, we moved to Denver looking forward to being in Denver and had no idea how much we would be blessed with the partnership with all the Southwest churches, and especially in our relationship with Bruce and Robin. They've just been, gosh, I mean, just like extra. I mean, we, we didn't anticipate the closeness that we would feel and didn't anticipate just the friendship that we would form and, and had no idea how much we would benefit from just their maturity and their faith and, and, and just their, their skill in leading churches and building churches. Thank you so much for that and for inviting us to be here with everyone today and, and, and the Bears. I don't want to leave anyone out, so I love you all. Okay, God bless you all. I, uh, I did this study last year in Denver. It was a personal study that turned into a series of sermons that then I've kind of taken on the road and done in a few different churches around the kingdom. And it was a series that was based on some of the most pointed, provocative, penetrating questions that Jesus asked of his disciples. So many times we come to church and we think that we have questions for God. Hey, what about the dinosaurs? You know, still wondering a little about that. No, okay, I'm kidding. Okay, what about, you know, what about providence and suffering? What about this? And we have questions that we ask of God, but we don't understand that sometimes when we walk into the church, he says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you. And so when you study through the gospels, you see Jesus doing just in fact what God did with Job in that reference, oftentimes penetrating the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow with a simple question to his disciples. And so it really is an amazing study. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illuminating study because you can learn a lot about Jesus by summarizing, well, what did he care enough to ask about? You can also learn about yourself as you kind of picture Jesus asking you some of those very questions and as you wrestle with what your answer would be to Jesus. So it was a really cool study, really helpful for me. I think really helpful to some of the disciples that we preached it to. Some of the questions that Jesus asked were gut-wrenching and soul-searching. Questions like, do you truly love me more than these? Or how about this one? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Some of the questions, on the other hand, are inspiring and uplifting. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's a good one. 
do you understand what I've done for you? Really, it's a cool study. If you're looking for something different, to see Jesus from a different angle and get a good kind of comprehensive view of what he cared most about, go through the Gospels and do a quiet time study or, or maybe like a Bible talk series for your Bible talk on all these questions that Jesus asked of his followers and would-be followers. But this morning, I want to focus on just one question. I'm not going to do the whole series here. But this is my favorite, okay? This question has got to be my favorite. I'd probably say that about all the other questions as well. But, but this one kind of leads to the forefront of my mind. It's unique in that it's both gut-wrenching and inspiring at the same time. You're like, yeah, well, I don't know. How about just the inspiring kind? Now, I had to kind of get it both in one here. So uh, this question is one that cuts straight to the heart of where we live and breathe. As Jesus looks at this audience with his omniscience that knows what's in your heart, that sees what's done in secret, and with his eyes like blazing fire, perhaps this would be the question that he would stand in front of each one of us individually and ask of us today. You ready for the question? It's also the title of the message. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? In John chapter 5, verse 1, you can turn there or just listen. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's drawn. While I'm, st while I'm, I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. It's a great story, and I'm sure we've read this many times, heard Bible talks on it, but it's a good one. This guy had been an invalid for 38 years, and we don't know if he was born that way or, or maybe he was older than 38. Maybe he was, you know, a, an invalid from birth or, or, or maybe he was in some sort of a horrible accident or maybe he had some sickness later on in life, but he'd been in this condition for a long time. And he probably tried all kinds of different ways to find a cure. And then he heard about this pool. And I don't know how he got to the pool. He obviously didn't walk to the pool. But somebody must have dragged him to the pool. Or friends kind of got him to the pool. Or paid someone to bring him to the pool. But he got to the pool. And there he sat for a long time. We don't know how long he was at the pool. He probably wasn't at the pool for all 38 years. But he'd been at the pool for a long time. And when the, the tradition was that the angels would come down and stir the water. And when the water would be stirred, you had to be the first one in in order to get the miraculous healing so he'd be waiting in line you know here i go and then the angel would come down he's like all right this is my time and they'd serve and he's like i can't move and so someone else would go down in front of him he's like oh it happened again and this had to have been going on for quite some time and you get the feel that that this guy was probably pretty upset about this i mean i get upset when somebody cuts in the line in front of me at mcdonald's Imagine if, like, you're waiting in line for this miraculous healing and decades go by and somebody else is always cutting in front of you. Think of what this guy must have been feeling. Maybe discouragement. He tried so many times. He tried so many ways. He watched others overcome and rejoice. But he himself never changed. 
Maybe he's feeling hopeless. This pool was his last resort for a big life-changing miracle. Maybe he was bitter. Maybe he's blaming the circumstances that caused him to be an invalid. Maybe he's blaming his parents or maybe he's blaming the, the, the sickness or whatever had happened. Maybe he's blaming the people that keep cutting in front of him and get to feel that maybe he was given into some bitterness over time. Maybe he was despondent and had given up. You get the feel he'd kind of given up. It's just the way I am. Just going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change me. He was stuck. Bottom line, he's stuck. He's stuck inside and he's stuck outside. He couldn't find the power within or the power anywhere without to really change. Then Jesus walks up and stands before him. Again, he looks at him with those penetrating eyes. Kind of like when it says with the rich young ruler, then he looked at him and loved him. You could just see the love in his eyes. He looked at him and loved him and asks him this one question. What a powerful, penetrating question it was. It cuts straight to his heart and the core of his existence. Do you want to get well? I think there's two things that maybe Jesus was feeling as he asked that question. And two things that are kind of like behind the scenes in that question. The first is, do you know who I am? Because Jesus walked up in front of him and he wasn't like, Jesus, all right, now I've got hope. He didn't know. So Jesus just walks up and the guy looks up at him. And behind the scenes of that, do you want to get well, had to be, do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm capable of? Do you know who's standing before you? I had this funny thing happen to me in the Philippines. It wasn't very funny at the time. Okay, it was funny later. And, and we, uh, we had this time that we were reaching out to the government, and God opened incredible doors for us to reach out. We, we had a Bible study with the president of the Senate. Man, the, I studied the Bible with the, the, the uh, governor of the richest province, and he ended up becoming a national hero there, Chavit Singh San. We studied all the way through, almost got baptized, wasn't quite ready. Turns out he had some things to give up. But we, we studied the Bible with some pretty significant people, and then we got invited to the, this gathering of, like, senators and, I mean, all these, like, all the bigwigs in government at this PICC, the, the International Convention Center. So we went there, and it's kind of an advantage when you're a foreigner and you didn't grow up knowing any of these people. You don't feel any intimidation whatsoever. If I watched, you know, the President of the United States, Barack Obama comes in, I'd feel a little nervous. But over there, you don't even know who they are. So they're all about my height. So I'm like, all right, this is good. And, so I'm just kind of reaching out, like, hi, my name's John. Hi, my name's John. I'm telling him about the church and stuff. Well, I go up to this one kind of leathery-looking gentleman, and I go, hello, my name's John Lusk. What's your name? And he did not answer a word. You remember that when it says that about Jesus? I know that feeling. He just stared at me. I'm like, my name's John. What's your name? And he just stared at me. And then Coco and Relay, the evangelist, walks behind the guy. He's like, no, don't, don't go away. Like, go away. And I'm like, Okay, the guy just watched me as I walked away and kind of lost my cool and fellowship for a while after that. And I said, Coco, who was that guy? And he goes, bro, that guy's in charge of the CIA and all the covert missions. He just says the word and people die. You do not want to talk to that guy. And I'm like, oh, like I don't want to talk to that guy. So I went around fellowship with some disciples after that. Well, maybe not as vengeful or dangerous of a way, but I think as that guy was feeling like, do you know who I am, little American guy? I think Jesus was looking at this invalid and saying, do you know who I am in a positive way? Do you understand who's standing before you? Do you know what authority I have? 
The angels that stir this water report to me. I created the water they stir. I created the dirt you're lying on. I created you. I created life. I spoke it into existence. I have authority over the natural world. Even the wind and the waves obey me. I have authority over the spiritual world. I can drive out any evil spirit. I have authority over the sinful world. I alone have authority on earth to forgive sins. I have authority over the biological world. I have authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. I have authority over the universal world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what I'm capable of? Do you know who I am? Do you know who stands before you? I think that was in his heart and mind. I think secondly, Jesus, as he asked this question, had the wondering, do you have the desire to get better? Do you still have the desire to get better? See, sometimes we get so tired of trying to change something or be something that we just give up trying. And oftentimes we don't even know we've given up trying. We don't know that we've given up, but we can just kind of slowly become cynical. It'll never work. That won't work. That won't work. He won't work. She won't work. Or we become accepting. Well, that's just the way I'm going to be forever. Sometimes it's a little mixture of both. We're cynical some days, accepting the other days. But both of them are just kind of like dealing with the fact that we're just not trying anymore. We don't think anything can change us. I've realized, you know, in life, some things must be accepted. Some things, on the other hand, should never be accepted. Distinguishing which is which is the mystery and challenge of life. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to seek it out. It's what makes life exciting, to try to figure out, is this something I should accept, or is this something I should change? I'll give you an example. I made reference to my height earlier. I remember being mid-teen and kind of going, you know what? That elusive growth spurt is not going to come. I remember facing that, and all my friends, you know, were so much taller, and I just was struggling with that. And that's right around when that song, Short People, that God-forsaken song by Randy Newman. Do you ever, you know that song, you know, Short People Got No Reason to Live? I was in elementary school, and I was in high school. I mean, that, that's literally what the word's saying nowadays. I mean, how unpolitically correct. Like, people would kill themselves after listening to that song. But they used to dedicate that song to me on the bus. And so I remember just going, oh, man, I'm just a short guy, which, again, is why I love going to Asia. When I first got to Bangkok, <laughs> Barry and I were in an elevator. We're in the elevator going up this hotel, and it's packed with people. And I leaned over, and I go, honey, I'm the tallest guy in this elevator. I'm like, I have found the motherland right here. And so, I, you know, I, I recognize I just got to accept that. I just got to deal with that. I try to move my hands and stuff a lot to make me look a little bigger. So I, I, I had to accept that part of life. But... But then there's this other part that I just, I remember years ago, just kind of going, you know what, I think I'm just going to be overweight for the rest of my life. And I was like, you know, about 40-something and, and was, was weighing 228 at the time. And I'm only 5'7 and a half. And, and so, <laughs> you know, that, that shows up quite a bit. And, and, and I was just thinking, that's just the way I am. So I would, you know, find the loose clothes and stuff like that. You know, you try to figure out, you know, what black and you know long and stuff like this and figure out the ways to hide it but then I just go you know what what gives I mean I'm over four I'm just going to be this way the rest of my life and then my best friend died of high cholesterol and it was right around that time we made the decision to move out to 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 be out here in Denver and out in the southwest and 
Denver is like the most fit state. So we're going from like one of the most fat states to one of the most fit states. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is time to just just start over. Is it too late? No, no, I can do it. And gosh, I mean, I, I know I have a ways to go, but since that time I've lost 50 pounds. And I'm so glad. And it's the grace of God, believe me, because I love to eat. But it, it, I, I just look and I go, I'm so glad God gave me the ability to cipher what's something I have to accept and what's something I should not accept. Overall, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not unlike the guy in this story wrestling with our infirmities. There are areas in each of our lives that are invalid. Invalid. They're not right or they're not best. Or perhaps they're just not acceptable in the eyes of God and shouldn't be settled for. And so we're rendered as invalids in those areas of our life that are invalid. You with me there? We're crippled in those areas. Often, because we've been this way for such a long time, and because others have passed us by getting healed and changing and rising up, and because no one seems to help us, we remain in that condition for many years, maybe 38 years, 38 weeks, 38 months, we remain in that condition for a long time. What is that condition for you? What part of your life is invalid or crippled? What part of your life is stuck? What part of your life is remaining in the same traps of Satan for many years or many months or many days on end? Sometimes, if we're really honest, and let's just kind of look through those eyes like blazing fire and see what's done in secret and look into our hearts together, sometimes we're sinful invalids. Sinful invalid, it really shows itself in, in some sort of addiction. It can be a chemical addiction, prescription drug abuse, nicotine, alcohol, recreational drugs, gateway drugs, something that just kind of started as a way to get you through the day or a way to check out for a little while then became something you looked forward to, then became something you really fought for, and then became something you started to hide about, hide for and, and plan for and plot for, a chemical addiction. Or maybe it's a behavioral addiction, pornography, immorality, impurity, homosexuality, lying, overeating, a struggle for me, overspending. We all got something. Is there some area of your life in which Jesus would say you're a sinful invalid? Well, sometimes we're emotional invalids. Usually shows itself up in bitterness, hurts from the past, abuse from the past that sometimes in the present makes us cautious, sinful, distrustful, overly sensitive. And it kind of seems justified because we go, I want to make sure, I want to make sure, I want to check it out. But you don't realize that really you're just emotionally invalid reacting to hurts in the past. And so present circumstances are tethered to hurts from the past in an unfair way. Sometimes we're relational invalids. We struggle with intimacy in our marriage or intimacy with our kids or intimacy with our friends, or intimacy with other disciples. And there's a certain little group we can be intimate with, but then there's other people that we just cannot break through the barriers and get intimate with. And again, sometimes those things are related to the emotional areas. We're wounded, or, or we've become unfeeling, become critical, 
They just feel lonely and isolated. Even in a church like this, you, you can be surrounded by hundreds of people that love you and, and, and love God and yet feel like you're on the outside looking in because you just feel like relationally you're needy. You're all alone. Sometimes we're salvation invalids. And what I mean by this is your conversion, perhaps, was invalid. You love God. You have a love for God and you believe in God and you like the Bible and you like to go to church. But but when it comes to what the Bible teaches, what the Holy Spirit inspired about how to believe in him, how to repent of your sins, how to be baptized into Christ and, and receive the forgiveness of sins and the, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you haven't obeyed what Jesus said. And so your salvation is invalid in the eyes of God. I used to be in that boat. Sometimes we're just in a group of invalids. You're like, man, my whole Bible talks invalid. You know, you're talking to us right here. You're talking to our house church. Well, you came to the right region because we're all invalid. And it's true in, in one way, right? I mean, we are. Sometimes our, our own family just feels like we're all a bunch of invalids or family group or whatever gathering that we go, man, there's so much more that can happen. There's so much more that God could and should and has in the past do through us. If this describes you, and, and come on, there's not really an if there, okay? If this describes you, you have a choice. Either stay in that condition for another 38 years or look to Jesus and really get well. Let me just get, take a brief look at Jesus. You know, we can't like stand in, in front of him. He doesn't stand right in front of us where we can see exactly what he looked like. But, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can see him through the word of God. Colossians 1, verse 15. I'd like to ask you just to listen to this, perhaps. Sometimes it hits you in a different way to just listen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This passage is known by scholars to be the highest Christological statement in all of Scripture, meaning there's no other place in all of Scripture that exalts Jesus to a higher place than Colossians 1, 15 through 20. These six short verses, verses give the clearest view of Jesus' prominence and preeminence. If you want to look to Jesus, you want to really face Jesus, maybe you can't like that guy did 2,000 years ago, but you can and understand way more about him. You don't have to have him wonder, do you know who I am? You can look through this lens of Colossians 1, 15 through 20 and know exactly who he is. Consider some of these phrases. For by him all things were created. Wow. He created everything. You go, hey, I thought that was God. Yeah, that's the point. He created all things, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him. And then I love this next phrase. And all things were created for him. It's one thing just to be the builder. It's another thing to be the builder and the recipient, the owner, to say it was all made for me. That's extreme. That's cool. It says in him, all things hold together. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, my life's falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My relationships are falling apart. My character's falling apart. Well, in him, 
all things hold together. What's going to unify the world? What's going to change us? What's going In him, all things hold together. He's the glue of life. He's not just one religious pursuit. He's not just one dimension of life. He is the glue. He's the fabric that holds everything together. And then I love this, how it says, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. In everything. He wants to have the supremacy in everything. You're like, yeah, but what about, uh-huh, that too. But what about those people? Yeah, those people too. But what about in the nations? Like, yeah. But what about in your family? Well, what if, in everything, he should have the supremacy. And then I love this phrase, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Consider the fullness of God, the pleroma it is in the original language. All the fullness of God. Take all that fullness, which you go, it's unlimited. That's the point. Scrunch it down, black hole it, if you will, okay? Super dense little blob right here. And you put it in Jesus, and he has all of it. He's got all the fullness of God inside of him. You go, that's intense. That's who this Jesus is. That brief description of Jesus, those six short verses, you know what they say? They say, you do not have to remain an invert. Jesus is standing in front of you today saying, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what power I hold? Do you know what I'm capable of? And he's not just saying it to the guy that had never heard of him before 2,000 years ago. He's saying it to you as a follower of Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 2 years, 12 years, like Martin, whoever you are. He's saying it to you. Do you, John, do you know really what I'm capable of? Do you really know who I am? If you're that sinful invert, I think Jesus would say, I faced and overcame every temptation that you're facing. I never sinned. I did all that to empower you. I died to release you from the power of sin. I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit and I've given you the power of the church to help you overcome every single sin that tempts you. One of the reasons I love going over to Bangkok beyond the height issue is that there it's such a faithless land. Less than one half of one percent Christian believing of any kind. Literally, it's the asterisk. It's the other. Animism, Shintoism, and then Christianity. So it's just, it's just this such a small group of people. They've had freedom of Christianity for hundreds of years, but, but very few have converted to any form of Christianity. But what I like about it is then when people turn to faith, God just does amazing miracles that, that cannot be explained in any other way, shape, or form. Well, I remember studying with this guy, and his name is going to remain, uh, uh, you know, blank, whatever. Huh? He's going to remain anonymous. You'll understand why in a second. I think he's the most sinful guy I've ever studied with. Okay, you can say that about a lot of people. That's the most prideful guy. I'm like, this guy wins. I mean, the things he was sharing about, about this gang he was in, gang rape he was involved in, gang fights where people were killed. He shared this one story of getting in a fight with, it was a gang fight, and he pulled out a sword. I mean, it's not like in the States you got a switch, but he had a sword, and he cuts the guy's leg off. He literally cuts his leg off. And the guy didn't know it was him because, you know, everyone's kind of moving stuff. And then for years, to that day, the guy lived near him, he would see him at the bus stop with crutches and no leg. And he just would constantly face, I did that. I'm on the same bus as him. But he didn't even know I did it. And this guy, I mean, he shared more things I'm not even going to share. And, and we study the Bible, and, you know, my, my trust in the grace of God was challenged, I'll, I'll tell you. 
And so, you know, but he, he got to where he wanted to become a Christian. He got baptized. It was awesome. And you just, you know, those people, you just go, amen. You needed to baptize him. God forgave him. It's awesome. I hope he sticks. You, you know, okay, don't say, you know, yeah, but we all know what you're talking about, okay? And, and, and so then, years later, we come back. That was about 12 years later. Dude is married, has three kids, and he's leading a Bible talk. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. You know, some people surprise you that he's like, you're still faithful. And you're like, you're married. You're a dad. You're a leader. You just go, there is a God. I mean, God, Jesus has the power. So I go, if God can forgive that and heal him and raise him up, what's your struggle? What's your problem? Man, he absolutely has authority to heal the sinful invalids. If you're an emotional invalid, Jesus is saying to you, healing is what I do. I healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the mute, and even the dead. I healed the dead. By my wounds, anyone and everyone can be healed. I've also put you in my family. So you have brothers and sisters to help you to heal. Trust my people, and you'll find emotional healing. Do you want to get well? With this, I think of Frank and Erica Kim, soon to be related to Bruce and Robin and, and Jason. Oh, Jason's already off to his wedding, I think. But, you know, soon to be related there. And, and, and you know, I think of the Kims. They went through some real challenges over in, in Tokyo. And Gosh, I mean, Erica had lupus. There was times that Frank... She, she literally couldn't even walk to the restroom. We would have to carry her to the restroom. And then they went through so many challenges during our, you know, our, our revolution scene, whatever, you know, you want to call it from eight years ago. Those have been around know what I'm talking about. And, and, and they went, I was there during a lot of it. They, they went through some, I mean, it was, it was kind of a tar and feathering type thing. And, and they came back to the stage. They got out of the ministry and went from world sector leader to, you know, and stay out kind of a thing. And came back to Denver where we were, and they were reeling, and they were hurting. It was hard to see my friend hurting. And yet I've watched over the years, I've watched the way they process that hurt. They, they view it as God's incredible refinement. They view it as God's grace that was able to help them to change. They, they view it with such humility, the mistakes they, they did that caused the hurt in so many people. They, they thank God that they can serve in a different way. Frank thanks God that that he doesn't have to pressure his wife like he used to, that she's out of the ministry. They've had to rebuild a whole career, but even in that career, they're using that career just to serve people and raise money for all kinds of needs. They just baptized a couple that works in their office. And, and I mean, they are like the most gracious, merciful people that only view those that hurt them through, I'm so sorry I hurt you, and thank you for your, your love to speak to us kind of a way. Like no tethering of hurt to the past. And so they're able to heal others. And now they're, you know, serving as an elder, elder's wife in the church, doing incredible things. God has blessed them so much because Jesus brought them emotional healing. If you're a relational invalid, Jesus is saying, I created you to be connected to others. I know love. I am love. I give love. I show love. I can heal your marriage, bond you with your kids, bond you with your friends. I've also put you in my church to help you find the relational strength you need to overcome. Do you want to get well? If you're a salvation invalid, Jesus is saying, I came into this world to save souls. This is my greatest passion and purpose. I come to you full of grace and full of truth. If you trust my truth, you'll know my grace. 
Make every effort to enter the kingdom and I'll open wide my heart and save your soul. I've connected you with my children to help you find me and find salvation in me. Do you want to get well? If you're close to becoming a Christian or maybe you're a teen kind of wondering, there's not going to be a magical moment, by the way, if you're just wondering for this, you know, light's going to blind you. It's more of a conviction that you just know what God is calling you to. And if you're wrestling with, well, should I get baptized or not? Turn to Jesus with all your heart. Turn yourself in and face him. It's so worth it to give your life to him at baptism. If you're a group of invalids, maybe that's all of us, the group of invalids today, I think Jesus would say to the group of us, I'm the head of the church. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Nothing can thwart my purposes and my people. Don't you see how I've guided you and refined you and prepared you over the years? I have and will lead your family, your family group, your ministry, your church, my kingdom from strength to strength. I know your 2020 vision. I'll bring it to fruition. You'll grow and flourish and spread all around your region and the world. Do you want to get well? We could go on and on. But when you face Jesus, whatever your infirmity, he's going to say that same question. Do you want to get well? And behind it is going to be, do you know who I am? And then the other side of it is going to be, do you know what I'm capable of? Do you have this desire? Practically speaking, I'm going to close with this. Three little short practicals. Don't worry, it's not going to be three whole big giant points. You're like, that was the introduction? No, that wasn't the introduction, okay? But, but three practical things I want to encourage you to think about. If you really want to get well in the name of Jesus, do this. One, invoke the name of Jesus. Invoke the name of Jesus. Do you ever think about the power that's in that name of Jesus? We've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus, the Bible says. Pray in the name of Jesus.